Welcome to My Youth on Record, a podcast where we explore the early creative lives of our favorite musicians. I'm your host, Sean King, and today's episode is a special one that hardly needs introduction. I will say that we had a very limited amount of time to speak with Tom, who was at the Gothic Theater recently promoting his collaboration record, The Atlas Underground. We fired off a set of rapid questions fielded by Stevie, Stefan, and me. He covers a great amount in a short time, things like his radical roots, growing up in Libertyville, Illinois, racism, activism, metal, his first band, guitar as a religion, and the very good fortune of his supportive mom. So please, without further ado, enjoy this brief yet amazing interview with the inspirational Tom Morello. Audio podcast. I'm ready for it. I'm ready okay. for your questioning. Tom Morell, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, looking forward to your show tonight. So this is a podcast where we actually we work with youth and we tell stories about professionals and their early days. Sure. And we talk about first songs you've written. We talk about first experiences with music. I'm already looking forward to this. <laughs> okay, like, yeah. It sounds like a different yeah, yeah. batch of questions that I've been a- answering for the last 20 years. So here we go. Let's go. <laughs> okay. uh, well, actually, and this is uh, Stevie, my co-host. I don't know if you'd like to fire off the first question, Stevie. Yeah, sure. So um, we had read that when you were in high school that you were an anarchist in a majority conservative school. Can you tell us like how that was and maybe how music played its role in sure, that? Sure, sure, sure. Um, I grew up in a very uh, politically radical household in a archly conservative community. Um, I was literally the first person of color to move into Libertyville, Illinois, according to the real estate agent. My mom's white, Irish, uh, uh, Italian, and my father's Kenyan, but it was just my mom was single mom. So we moved in and um, my mom's politics were like, are still remain far to the left of mine, which is, she's the most <laughs> rad, at 95, she's the most radical member of the Morello family. Um, and so I just, I grew up with, you know, in a home that had pictures of, you know, Kwame Nkrumah and Jomo Kenyatta and and Che Guevara on the walls, just assuming everyone else in Libertyville did, you know, until <laughs> I got to high school. I'm like, whoa, hold on. Everybody's got a different idea about how the world's lined up here than, than I do. Um, but I, you know, for me, the politicization first happened on the playground when I was a kid. Um, you know, I met racism on the playground. When I was very, very young. And my mom taught me about Malcolm X when I was four and a half years old. Uh, and but then in high school, uh, there was a group of students who self-identified as anarchists or anarcho-syndicalists, our understanding of it at 16 and 17 years old. Um, and we had our we formed an underground newspaper. We were quite certain that we had a better view of what the world really was than a lot of the teachers who were teaching us, than what the you know newspapers were saying and whatnot. Uh, and music, it was at the time where the clash and public enemy were the were they, it wasn't that they activated my activism it's that they confirmed my suspicions that there was a community beyond the one i lived in that had ideas about social justice that could be put into practice and we were not sort of alone in our little anarchist bubble at libertyville high school that there was a wider world of people that thought like we did and were acting on it was there a certain level of confidence you got from listening to those bands um the, well, the, for me, the cla- the Clash and the Sex Pistols were big. Is I I didn't I loved metal before I discovered those bands, and the the, the um, subject matter of most of my favorite songs were either the devil or groupies, none of which played a significant role in my life, you know. Uh, but when I heard, you know, Nevermind the Bollocks and London Calling and the first Clash album, 
it's I could relate to the lyrics and it felt like it was young people like me who had similar concerns. And also you could make kick ass rock and roll that was about something that mattered. That was really the key. Like, I didn't know that that was possible before. I thought there were things that mattered. And then there was kick ass rock and roll. And they built the bridge between the two. And I, th and I was in a band in high school uh, and when I. I wrote my first my songs prior to this. I will not share any of the names with you as they they tended to be heavy metal misogynist fair. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I wrote a song called Salvador Death Squad Blues at 17 years old. And I felt I'm on my way. <laughs> That's great. I've got a question. On a daily basis, it seemed like you would have to fight for who you were. Yeah. What was your war paint what was your yeah, armor like yeah. what, how'd you I had, I had a tremendous amount of, like i had a tremendous amount of of self-confidence that was instilled in me by my family like my i grew up in an all-white family that loved me and made me feel like i was a special smart courageous person and so i kind of went in the world like I, this was an era i can't even describe it to you, like where people didn't think that a black person was smart enough to be a quarterback or a coach like it was it was taken for granted that you couldn't you know and, and i was like i'm I'm smart as anybody in this school, and I'm pretty sure that you know. And, and so I, I went in with that kind of confidence, and um, which was instilled in me by my family. And and you know, to this day, I carry like my great uncle was Jomo Kenyatta, who was you know, uh, and and so there was this kind of DNA in me that felt like I'm in this small suburban town, but I'm part of a wider world of people who change the world. And I don't know what my route is. And it turned out that my route was electric guitar. Um, but I don't know what my route is, but I know that, that I can be a person that has his hands on the wheel of history. Now, as if you say your mom was radical, did you feel like listening to punk rock was like a departure from that? If she was already radical, where could, yeah. could you be more, could you yeah. be <laughs> any more radical? Uh, no, really the, the only music she ever made me turn off in the guitar was in, in the, in the car was ACDC. She thought it was screechy screechy she she still thinks it's screechy but uh no there was i don't know that i really discussed like music lyrics with her um i did make her memorize the names of the guys in kiss which she's never forgiven me for but uh, yeah for me that like the, the the punk rock thing like she was the one that allowed us to play in her basement none of the other parents would so i mean the cacophony we were a band that didn't know how to play a chord so imagine when there's four of you with the and a saxophone like horrible i mean horrible there's no i mean horrible right um but we she was you know she's a very special person and she was like if this is your vision then this is the, you're going to do it in this basement. And that afforded the and that's why a lot of the like, great music comes from middle class families, because you have basements and you have $50 for an electric guitar and you have like sort of enough of starter set and one or two parents that maybe believe, you know, like our president believe in the kids that allow you to get over that first hump. And that was certainly Mary Morello. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and as a single mom, do you think she was like trying harder to bring bring up that kind of uh, encouragement or um yeah she i mean she's like a lioness though like she never i never i never missed having another parent like if like you may you don't miss having a third parent i didn't miss having a second one like i felt like i we had kind of sort of a self-contained world there that that i later real i thought everyone had that kind of love and support and i went out in the world in bands where people have often you know Music is an escape from their families in some way, you know, and people who have these devastating family histories that follows them the rest of their lives and who they are and how what their choices are. Uh, and so I feel very, like, sort of fortunate that I had a very different home life. If music wasn't an escape for you, what was it, especially for high school? Yeah, know? yeah. Well, for, I didn't start playing until I was 17. And the only guitarist that I've ever heard of that started that late that made albums was Robert Johnson. And he had to sell his soul to the devil to do it. So that was a, yeah. um, 
So, you know, so for me, it was I, for me, it was a I, I had a, a multiplicity of interests as a high school. I was an artist. I like politics. I liked writing. And then when I started playing guitar, it was a, a religious calling. It was something that where you choose some things that chose me that chose mm -hmm. me. And I felt powerless before it in a way. And I just knew that that was the path that I had to follow. And so it wasn't it was never guitar was never an escape. It was kind of like a, a preordained assignment in a way. Do you think what do you think that seventeen-year-old self would think about the music you're making right now mm. in this new record? Mm. The I think the seventeen-year-old self. I don't know the seventeen-year-old self would have followed every twist and turn of my career. But the the first instinct I took a couple of lessons when I was thirteen and hated it. I and I was determined. First of all, thank goodness there's no YouTube video of my band during this time. But I was determined to never learn anything from anybody. That was going to be the starting point. So if it's a chord. <laughs> No, thank you. <laughs> I remember, I remember clearly like these vignettes of being practicing in my mom's basement. I think the guitar, like our PA was the dude's, was one guy's stereo. And I had the guitar on my head and the guitar was on top of my head. I'm like, I'm going to play the guitar on top of my head because that's not how it's done. <laughs> and everyone encouraged you and they're like, yeah, yeah do it. I don't know. I'm sort of like, oh, all right, we're going to do that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There are some stunning photos that you'll see in tonight's show from that period that will surprise you. Stevie? That's awesome. So I have a question. Rage Against the Machine is definitely something that has influenced many, many, many people. Um, do you have a band that has influenced you as you have influenced others? I mean, for me, it was really the clash. It was like, <laughs> that was the, uh, that was the band that I, that I put all my eggs in that basket. And uh, Joe Stromer in particular was, a poetic voice for, the, for for at least two reasons. One was that the Clash checked my box. Like I loved Kiss and I loved this. I never abandoned sort of the rock, the metal bands when I went to punk rock. But like the Clash checked those boxes because you know what? They wore awesome outfits too. Like they <laughs> they were not they were not like DC punk rock t-shirts. Like we're going to the show and we're gonna look fly at the show. Like all right, all right. Um, but it also it also there was an integrity to it and like this like. It was a band. They were playing to save your soul and their own. And that's like, mm. like, are you playing music that matters? And like, that's the what to me. I, that's what I felt in it. And I was like, it can be very meaningful. Like, you can be a political person. You can want to change the world, and maybe you can do it with an electric guitar. Like that yeah. was open that door. And but the 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 for me, my crossroads moment where I didn't have to sell my soul. My soul was saved. Was I saw the Clash play at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago, and I had a like a kind of a crummy Music Man twin amp on a chair in my mom's basement with my band when the guitar was on my head. Um, and I went to go see The Clash, my favorite band, and my favorite person in rock and roll, Joe Strummer, had exactly the same amp on stage at the Aragon Ballroom on a chair. And so it, 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 the, the wall between, you know, who you are and what you can be went away. It was like, it's not like I can one day do this. It's like we're both doing it. We're both doing it. Like it's not – there's, I don't have to aspire to anything beyond like I'm he's in a band. I'm in a band and we're in bands and that's it. That really felt like like I was free then. Like you don't need anything else. It always felt like before that, like if you if you want to be Jimmy Page, you need a lot of shit before you can be Jimmy Page. Mm -hmm. You need a castle on a Scottish lock before you can be Jimmy Page. <laughs> <laughs> but with the clash, you just needed an amp on a chair in a basement and then you were already there. Right you know, on. there's like, they, people say that there's like uh you know, this, this art chose me or comedy chose me. Yeah, yeah. And then there's people who feel like they're just visitors. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you've collaborated? Like, cause it, clearly we, you know what side you fall on, yeah, yeah. but when you're collaborating with people, do you get, 
you get that sense that yeah oh well, that's interesting i mean i know ne- i've never really kind of looked at mike i have a like very low bar like uh there's not much of a litmus test for collaborations normally it's if if it's some political event show charity benefit show and you say yes to it you're welcome on board right? you whatever you're welcome i would love that i like a nice big tent when it comes to that when it comes to like the collaborators on this latest record this alice underground record those that's a curated event and i'm not i'm looking less at kind of what motivated them to get into the into the business as can it fulfill a sonic and uh uh thematic vision got it yeah right on um this is fantastic, man. It's um, it's it's important for our youth to know that that people are making music from a really true place. Is there any bit of advice you could give to people who are creating at this point in twenty eighteen? Matter of fact, I can. Uh, first of all, don't tell any of my handlers in the other room. But I do all this for free. <laughs> like, it's like I really would, but like somehow it stumbled into another lane, and that's crazy. Uh, but the I am occasionally asked for advice on what how to. How do you make it or how you succeed? And I've always, I was in a band prior to Rage Against the Machine called Lock Up. And leading up to that, one minute, okay. Yeah, I was leading up to, uh, and uh, um, and when I was practicing a lot, I really wanted to be like the bands in the magazines that I got when I was growing up. I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to make albums like famous people do. And that band got a record deal and we, and we, it, it was felt some of these suggestions that were made to us were very counterintuitive. Like, like I don't like the A and R person would say this, or the manager would say this, or the producer. I'm like, I don't know that that feels right, but you know best, and this is the right route to being to stardom. That band failed, and um, and I had had my grab at the brass ring at 27. I was done. There was no chance that I was going to be a rock star. There was no chance that I was going to make records or be famous. And I made a solemn vow to myself sitting on the, my couch in West Hollywood. I said, well, if none of that's going to happen, I'm going to only play music that I really believe in. And I'm, cause I'm stuck being a musician. There's no way, no way out of that box. So I'm just going to play music I believe in. And I started writing the riffs for the first Rage Against the Machine record. And from that day to this, from I've made 18 records since then, 18 studio records since then. And I've held true to that. And so my advice to, to people who are beginning is you can, you have a, uh, uh, a route to success that no one can get in the way of. And that is if you make music that you love and believe in then you are successful as an artist, period. End of story. Now, you may not be on the cover of magazines and you may not play stadiums, but as an artist and as a musician, you're, by definition, by my definition, you're successful and that you will have a kind of a very fulfilling life as a person who plays music by doing that one thing and that one thing only. I can get behind that. Yeah. Definitely. Right, last question. Awesome. I gotta go play a show. Yeah. I think that was it. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and the scene. <laughs> My Youth on Record is proudly brought to you by Youth on Record, a Colorado nonprofit organization where local teens are empowered to find their voice and value by working with local musicians as their educators. Teens in Youth on Record's programs are working to be both the next generation of creatives as well as community leaders. They do this through music, poetry, and storytelling. My Youth on Record is one of their newest programs. Learn more at www.youthonrecord.org. A big shout out to Oso Motley for our theme music this season. They came to the studio in Denver, jammed with some of the Youth on Record students, and we couldn't be happier. Thanks so much.